very uh, kindly took me out for fishing. And the fish of choice in Cape Cod is called the striped bass. It's delicious. It's elusive. And so he took me out one time fishing. Hadn't gotten many opportunities like that before. Didn't grow up as a fisherman. Took me and a buddy out. And literally from the time we started casting our hooks out, we were catching fish. For like two hours. Just fish after fish after fish. I caught a 41-inch striped bass. It was awesome. And in subsequent trips out with him, I realized that is not what happens every time you go fishing. Uh, Many times we went out for hours and caught nothing. So in retrospect, I counted myself very fortunate to have had that one experience. I can think of other times when I felt very fortunate because I've been rescued from something. I wonder if you have experiences like that. One time in college, I was working waiting tables and coming home after a late close. And I was tired, and I drifted off to sleep. Car went off the road right into a tree. Airbag deployed. Thank God I had my seatbelt on. I walked away from it that night, and I felt very fortunate to be alive. I wonder what you feel fortunate for this morning, either in what you've gotten to experience or what you've been rescued from. Our passage this morning, Luke 5, 1 through 11, which you'll find on page 860 of your pew Bibles, Our passage this morning puts us right in in the middle of a range of those kinds of fortunate experiences. Either what the disciples encounter with Jesus, or what one disciple realizes he's been rescued from. I also just want to say, being up here, that one of the great fortunate things in my life is that God gives me the privilege to do this. To open up God's word, and to together see Jesus. So I pray that you count it one of the unfortunate experiences of your life that God has chosen to bring you here this morning, to put you in a place where you can hear his good news, know his good word, and hopefully be able to follow his good rule in your life. This morning's text is going to be a wonderful place for all of us to do that this morning. In Luke 5. I'm going to read that. Luke 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. Just one of the, one of the different um, times, experiences, and events. So we're kind of dropping in. But here we go. Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That was a framework for us thinking about this text together. I'm going to divide the story up into five parts. So let's be, begin looking at part number one, which I'll call not a typical morning. Not a typical morning, which we see in verses one through three. One morning, Jesus walks down to the shoreline of this lake, followed by a large crowd. Jesus has been recently gaining a lot of popularity. He'd healed sick, sick people. He'd cast out demons. Many were noticing that his words had power and authority, which they had never heard before. Jesus climbs into one of two empty fishing boats and calls this man Simon to come man the boat for him. Just take him out just a little way so he can sit there and teach the crowd who are gathering on the shore. Seems like just an average morning in Galilee. But that will soon change. Now, friends, Luke is not, if you're new to the Bible and new to these stories, I just want you to know Luke here, one who, who knew Jesus and, and was an eyewitness and, and saw what Jesus did and heard of the things he didn't see. Luke isn't recording a mundane piece of Galilean history here. When we encounter Jesus, we are far from the mundane. These first three verses create an anticipation around Jesus. Every little detail is a piece of the stage that Jesus is purposefully building to reveal himself. Jesus is sovereign. He orchestrates everything with a purpose. Look again with me at verse 1 through 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Why does Jesus look for two boats instead of one? Why will the fishermen need to have time to clean and mend their nets? Well, we'll get to that. In just a minute. Jesus gets into Simon's boat. So far this story seems to be about Jesus and the crowds. And Simon is just in the wrong place at the wrong time. This guy who gets roped into driving Jesus around in his boat. But as the story unfolds, we see Jesus specifically, sovereignly, choosing Simon's boat. Because Jesus has planned to choose Simon himself. Every detail of our stories, our lives, is set up to unfold just as Jesus has planned. In your life, there are countless events, circumstances, relationships, opportunities, all that God has arranged and given to you. Today, friend, is the stage that God has built for his glory and his power to be put on display. In your life, in mine. When we talk about the sovereignty of Jesus, it's not just about defining who he is. That he plans everything and makes it happen. He also uses that power for the good of his people. We make note of his control and his ordering of our lives so that we will worship him and praise him for how perfect and wise he is to set our lives just the way he has. Is that currently your response 
to how God has ordered your life? Let me encourage us when we wake up in the morning this week, let's turn our thoughts to anticipate how Jesus will work all things together for the good of those who love him. And when he does, we'll be prepared to respond with joy and praise. That's the first part of the story. The setting was not your typical morning. Well, let's move into part two, a miraculous catch. A miraculous catch. I'm going to read again verse 4 through 7. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Simon is a pro fisherman. He's a pro at this. More than likely, he has practiced this trade most of his life. His livelihood depended on what he caught. And recently, business has not been good. They fished an entire night without catching a single fish. And we can assume that if the pros are out at night fishing, that's the best time to catch things. Along comes Jesus. Right when the fishermen are finishing up the tedious work of cleaning and tying repair knots in their fish nets. Their muscles likely are aching. They're tired. They're probably ready for rest. And this is probably not Simon's first encounter with Jesus. In chapter 4, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. Maybe that's why Simon agrees to take him out in the boat. Maybe it's because Simon respects Jesus as a teacher, calling him master. That's all tested when Jesus tells Simon, not just to sail out a little way, but then sail out into the deep water. See, Jesus is changing the plan on Simon. When plans get changed on me, I don't know about you, I often don't respond well. I likely would not have responded well to Jesus changing the, par- the plan. If I'm in Peter's uh, position, I'm probably responding in, in maybe multiple different ways. Maybe I'm doubting God's wisdom and I'm saying to Jesus, wait a minute, Jesus, you just said a little bit from the shore. You didn't say anything about going on a full fishing trip here. Or maybe I'm responding knowing better than God. In my heart, what does this guy think he knows about fishing? If we didn't catch anything all night, there's no way we're going to do better in the middle of the day. Or maybe I'm responding just in self-service. Can't this guy see I'm tired and frustrated and hungry? Often our emotions, frustrations, fatigue, and doubts become excuses for not obeying Jesus, don't they? But Simon's response is a good one. It's a combination of honesty and humility. Yes, his response is, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, which sounds a lot like, are you sure, Jesus? But in the end, he trusts Jesus. Simon casts his net over, and when he does, the net starts hugging, tugging real hard. As he struggles to hang on and pull them up, he realizes he is bringing in the biggest catch of his life. It is so big that he needs another boat 
to help him. And even both the boats together can hardly contain the fish they're caught. Now, a fisherman like Simon would not carry a net that breaks easily. Not even under the stress of a large catch. He wouldn't fish in a boat that could sink under the weight of even a large catch. This catch of fish was far more than Simon expected. Coming back to what we saw about Jesus' sovereignty for a second. Now we see it's a good thing Jesus planned for two boats. For freshly mended nets. Oh, and I forgot to mention the fisherman's previous night of catching nothing. That too set the stage for this miraculous catch, didn't it? That too draws our attention to the fact that Jesus is behind this miracle. Look at Jesus' instruction. Let down your nets for a catch. In other words, let down your nets in order to catch. The fish were waiting. Jesus had put them there. The miracle that was about to unfold was no coincidence. It was a foregone conclusion. The point of this story is not that Simon obeyed and Jesus rewarded him with a lot of fish. Yeah, it's true. We should obey Jesus. And Simon's example to us is commendable. But our obedience in no way manipulates God into blessing us. As we'll soon see, the miraculous catch of fish becomes an afterthought when compared to Jesus. Let me ask you, if someone gave you a briefcase with $10 million in it, after you had been without a job for, say, a year, and that person made that briefcase appear out of thin air, would you kindly thank the person and walk off with the briefcase? Maybe at first you'd be skeptical. You'd think it was some kind of trick. But after proving it wasn't a trick, you would be amazed that the person standing in front of you who just created something from nothing is far more important than the briefcase in your hand, regardless of how much it contains. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 47, page 735 in your pew Bible. Here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, we're going to read verse 6 through 10. Here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is being given a vision of a recreated temple, which stands for the new creation that God will bring about. It will be a place where God will dwell again with his people. And an angel is explaining what Ezekiel is seeing in the vision. So we're going to pick up there in Ezekiel 47, verse 6 through 10, hearing this explanation. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the waters flow into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enaglaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Foretelling of the new creation that's coming. One of the signs of that new creation is going to be an abundance of fish. 
Now, if you contrast that with Simon's remarks in Luke that they had toiled all night and caught nothing, it brings the spotlight onto Jesus when the fish are caught. By Jesus' authority, this is being signaled to us in this passage, creation will be liberated. He's the one who's come to abolish the curse of sin, the toil and sweat of the brow, and create the world new. Now, I have no idea in Luke 5... Whether Jesus kind of put his hand in the water to summon the fish, or if he called to them audibly. But in light of Ezekiel 47, could it be simply that creation responded to its creator? No audible, tangible, mental summons was required from Jesus that somehow the fish knew who was in the boat before Simon did. The fabric of creation so entwined with the creator that where the maker goes, what is made by him follows. Jesus is the most important part of this story, not the fish. He is not merely a teacher of crowds. He is the creator of the world. He is the commander of the universe. He is the Lord over the oceans. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. He created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. He stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. He's inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. He shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Jesus entered into the springs of the sea and walked in the recesses of the deep. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps In storehouses. Jesus is the living God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he is a great God. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And that's exactly what Simon does. Part three, a scary realization. Part three, a scary realization. Look at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. That they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Simon witnesses this catch, and he falls down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's a curious response. Luke explains it in verse 9 for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, so were partners with Simon. Do these men perhaps realize that what just happened is only possible if the creator is standing in their boat? 
Are they potentially connecting that if Jesus is creator, Jesus is God? And if Jesus is God, God is in their boat? And God is perfect. And God is holy. And if Jesus is holy, Simon is in trouble. And in his cry, we hear Isaiah's cry in Isaiah 6. When he stood before the throne of God Almighty and saw God's glory. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Jesus has come to show Simon himself his power, his might, his holiness. And the sight of Jesus is too much for Simon. Simon doesn't thank Jesus. Even though who knows how many months' paychecks were taken care of with this one, one catch. Simon sees past the miracle to see what we all need to see this morning. There's something about us. That means we can't be where God is. And that something is sin. To stand before God in our sin. To stand before his holiness is a death sentence. Jesus can see our hearts. He can see there's nothing inside of us that can make us clean enough to stand face to face with God. The best remedy that Simon can think of is to say, get away from me, Jesus. Have you ever gone a long time without talking to God because you feel guilty about some sin in your life? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, is your strategy right now to put distance between you and God? Distance is not a solution. It doesn't remove our guilt and our sin. It only delays the judgment we deserve. To some here in this room, Simon's reaction may seem embarrassing. It's kind of over the top. That's probably because sin isn't a big deal to you. If you don't think your sin is a problem between you and God, then you don't know God and you've never truly met him. When you come into the presence of the perfect God, the only way to respond is to become painfully aware of our own rebellion against him and the punishment we deserve. As J.C. Ryle wrote, the sight of divine greatness and holiness makes us feel our own littleness and sinfulness. Like Israel beneath Mount Sinai, the words of Simon's heart are, do not have God speak with us or we will die. A day is coming, we sang about it earlier, when all our knees are going to be on the ground in front of Jesus like Simon's. And we'll all confess that he is the Lord. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you continue to hold on to your sin and rebel against God and his right authority in your life, that will be a day when you won't be able to get distance between you and God. That will be a day when God's judgment against your sin will not be delayed. Oh, friend, you do not want to kneel before Jesus without a solution for your sin. And without protection from his righteous wrath that will fall on you. Church. Praise God we have found a remedy for our sin in Jesus Christ. 
Let's remember that our discipleship to Jesus began with desperation and destitution, just like Simon. That's where he found us. That's where he appeared to us. And that's where we would still be without his grace and his mercy. Our humble service to Christ will be helped by regularly confronting our sin, by regular conviction of our sin, sorrow over sin, confession of sin. It might even be a good idea once in a while to confess our sin to Jesus out loud from our knees. And it's good for us, brothers and sisters, when we each hear each other confessing our sins and exhibiting sorrow over it. Being on our knees in confession to Jesus is not about wallowing in our guilt or self-loathing. It's about taking a humble position and a posture that gives us the clearest view of our greatest hope. And that's something Simon is about to discover. Part number four, a comforting commission. Part number four, a comforting commission. There in verse 10, the second half. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Now, imagine I not just read that. And we're hanging in the tension of how Jesus is going to respond. Jesus yet to answer the silence in the courtroom before the judge renders the verdict against the guilty. The sickness in Simon's stomach. His heart pounding. His muscles tense. Anticipating potentially judgment. His mind racing for any way out. Finding no way. The honest yet sinking awareness that what he is likely to receive is what he deserves. Is your sin... More than you can bear. You struggle to be free from its weight, but find no relief. Has God shown himself to you as holy? You know, whether Christian or not, that your sinful heart is exposed. You feel condemned. Then pay close attention to Jesus' words. Four words that will lift your burden and change your eternity. Jesus says... Do not be afraid. In those few words rests the hope of all mankind. Jesus ignores Simon's fearful request and he gives a command of comfort. Rather than depart, Jesus stayed. Rather than strike Simon down, Jesus will offer himself on the cross to be stricken, smitten, afflicted with the force of God's righteous wrath. To provide hope for us. Jesus was hanged for us. To lift us from our knees. Christ was lifted up as an atonement. A substitute. A sacrifice for our sins. To give us life. Jesus took death. So we've seen our, our, this Jesus as sovereign. As creator. And here we see him as a savior. There's a remedy for us. There is a way out. Jesus is the way. If we repent of our sin that separates us from God, if we acknowledge to him, we deserve nothing but death. If we believe that Jesus' sacrifice for us is full and sufficient payment for all our sins, then we too can live in the fearless hope of life with Christ. A life of confidence that God is with us always. A life lived in hope that we will get to live with God always. 
Through faith in Jesus, we can have peace with God. Don't be afraid if you've struggled and you've fallen. Jesus stands ready to forgive you. His love drives out our fear. Don't be afraid, brothers and sisters, when the world is harder and heavier than you can bear. For Jesus has overcome the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We're told that by his word, all our fears are swept away in the tidal wave of Jesus' love and grace for us. When when Satan does come and tempts you, we've been thinking about from Ephesians 6, and tempts you to despair and tells you you're guilty and condemned, hear Jesus' voice answering, do not be afraid. I've redeemed you. My blood purchased you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I am the Lord your God. Jesus releases Simon from fear and sets a new job in front of him. Simon is saved from fear in order to fearlessly serve God. Jesus' words to Simon recall words found in Jeremiah 16, which, just, which Josiah read earlier. There, Jeremiah prophesied against the people of Israel for their covenant disobedience. For their sin, God promises to punish them and throw them out of their land. But this exile is not going to last forever. Because days are coming when God will bring the people back to their land just as he did in the Exodus. The way the people will be brought back will be through the means God sends. Namely, if you noticed it in Jeremiah 16, fishers who will catch men and hunters who will hunt them. When Jesus says to the disciples that they'll be catching men, it's the cue. It's the cue that the days of promise in Jeremiah are coming about. Jesus identifies himself as the one who sends and sends the disciples. He is the one who fulfills the promise in Jeremiah 16, 16. And if you know what happens after this, even after Jesus dies and is raised, you know that the book of Acts relates exactly. This is what Simon, Peter, and the rest of the apostles go and do. They're sent out. They go out. They preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And thousands are saved. And on their gospel confession, the church, this church, is built. So church, this is our commission from our Lord Jesus. We aren't fishers of men because he sees some goodness in us or some holiness apart from him. We aren't evangelists because that's our particular skill set. We set ourselves to the work of seeking the lost and telling them the saving news of Jesus Christ because that is what Jesus has given us to do and sent us to do. We're sinners who once stood condemned, yet God has set us free and has given us the privilege to be his fishers. Who are you fishing for? Where are you fishing? Who are you praying that God would use you in their life to bring to them the message of hope and life, grace through Jesus Christ? Who are you in faith speaking about Jesus to, trusting that God, the sovereign creator, savior, has the power to save? What an encouragement to us to see these nets and boats full of fish. Jesus can do the same with people. So go out. 
and fish with the gospel message in love and pray that this church will be full to overflowing with men and women and children that Jesus has gathered and chosen. Finally, part five. Part five, an appropriate response. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. How do Simon and James and John respond to Jesus' comfort and commission? They leave everything and follow him. Remember the $10 million briefcase? Imagine being so caught up with the man who made it appear that you completely forgot about the briefcase. That you left it sitting there as you walked and talked with the man who gave it to you. Christ revalues and reframes what we think of as valuable. The fishermen are now disciples. They were fearful at Jesus' feet. Now they're followers in Jesus' steps. What what, what would have meant everything to these fishermen just moments ago? The biggest catch of their lives. Now they leave it on the shore and walk away. What is everything to you? What do you value more than anything else? Family, job, money, financial security, comfort, love from another person. Jesus is better. Jesus is infinitely better. The beautiful irony of Luke 5 verse 11 is that in the same instance that, instant that we surrender everything, we gain more than we ever had before. We gain Jesus. Jesus who laid down his life to give us eternal life. We lay down our lives because we want the life that Jesus gives us instead. So with joy, let's turn our backs on the everything. Lay those things down. Follow Jesus instead. He is worthy of whole life worship. I'm not suggesting we go home and sell everything we have and walk away from our responsibilities. God has given those things to you and to me. He wants us to manage them well for his glory. Nor should we look at what the disciples did and praise their devotion and sacrifice. As if it's somehow impossible for ordinary Christians like us. What the disciples did here was not radical. What the disciples did here was not radical. Sure, it looks radical to a world that doesn't know Jesus. I think of friends. Friends who are brothers and sisters in my life in Dubai who left their communities. Because Jesus was infinitely more valuable. I think of others who have been models to me of generosity and benevolence because more than money, Jesus is more valuable. I think of those who, despite their high positions in earthly ways, humble themselves regularly to serve others and attend to them. Those who are weak and downcast, even outcast, because Jesus is infinitely better. After all the disciples had seen that day, What other way would they spend their life? Would they bring in the fish and watch Jesus walk off? (laughs) Every time they set their foot in the boat, they'd recall when the creator of the world stood there. 
Every time they picked up their nets, they'd feel the weight of the miracle catch the sovereign Lord had orchestrated. Every time they felt the sting of their own sin and fear and despair, they'd regret not giving their lives to follow the Savior who said, Don't be afraid. For these men who had encountered the sovereign creator and Savior Jesus, whole life worship is the only response they could give. Just as the fish swarmed to their creator, so too these fishermen can't help but follow the one who had made them and called them. So friends, like these disciples, we've encountered Jesus this morning in this word. We're made to follow Jesus. There's no life outside of that. Will you walk out ignoring? Or will you again surrender in faith and follow Jesus? And keep following him? What a view of Jesus. I pray we're captured and captivated with Jesus Christ so that the world would have no more attraction to us. Sins, chains, broken by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. The world's attractions totally eclipsed by the beauty and majesty of the Lord Jesus. The world's promises emptied out and proved untrue because Jesus is the truth. The supposed power of rulers and governments will seem as nothing when the sovereign creator, as he has done, reveals himself to us. So as those chosen by him, Convinced of our own sin. Confessing his blood is the only way to be made spotless. Comforted by his love and commissioned to carry his gospel. Let's humbly commit our lives to follow wherever our Lord Jesus leads us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise your holy name. We praise you as mighty, creator, sovereign. We praise you in your grace and mercy that you have provided salvation. We praise you that you have spoken the words, do not be afraid, and you invite us to lay our fears down and come into the comfort and security and confidence of your care and rule of our life. Holy Spirit, work in such a way that we who are downcast would take comfort from your words. That we who are struggling and caught in our pride, thinking that your rule is none of what we want, would you change us? Would you humble us? Would you cause us to see in a new way that your rule is good and anything outside of it is destruction? Oh God, would you meet each of us where we are in our hearts right now? Would you help us by having been given this vision of Jesus through your word? Would your spirit now please work in such a way? That you draw us all to Christ. That you draw us all again to the cross and find there the solution. And the life in his empty tomb. Lord, draw us and our hearts. Refashion us and shape us such that we desire the things you desire. And that our evaluation of everything would pale in comparison to Jesus who is better. 
Lord, we pray that that would be the testimony of our church, that Jesus would be apparently better, and that Jesus would be glorified by our service and by our giving, by our love and our compassion. God, draw us to follow Jesus and trust him and obey him and magnify yourself through that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.